Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Advent and Christmas tide, we are going to consider together the great O Antiphons. We know them today in the famous hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, but they date back as far as the 6th century and by the time of the 8th century were widely used in the liturgies of the seven days that led up to Christmas as sort of an Advent within Advent. Each verse highlights for us part of what we long for in the first and second coming of Jesus, and therefore part of what we are given in the gift of Jesus. It's our hope that these sermons will both help you prepare for and to celebrate the gift of Jesus. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Lord, we, we thank you again for this time of Advent where we wait, uh, where we wait uh, for the joy of celebrating you. But we, we look back with the assurance that you've come among us, uh, Jesus, the one who uh, is God with us, Emmanuel. Lord, we pray that in this time, again, you would direct our hearts to you, uh, that you would show us to be the one for whom our souls long. Lord, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations and the thoughts and the desires, the longings of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so today is the first Sunday in Advent, and we're going to start a new series that's going to take us really all the way through Christmas tide. What we're going to do together is we're going to consider uh, what is called the great O antiphons. Um, You probably don't know what that is necessarily. Maybe some of you do. But uh, you do know it, actually, that that poem, Through the Great Hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It's probably the most famous Advent hymn that the church globally sings um, that expresses for us our longing for God with us. right? Emmanuel, God, coming with us. But the the text of that hymn actually dates back as far as the 6th century. And what we know is that uh, starting in about the 8th century, the church would generally say the different stanzas of this uh, poem along with the evening prayer in the seven days that, la- that led up to Christmas Day. So starting on the 17th and through the 24th, you would recite one of these stanzas along with the Magnificat, the, prayer, uh, the Song of Mary, as you prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus. It's sort of an advent within advent in a way. But what each one of these stanzas does is that it it speaks to who Christ is and what we long for in in his first coming and his second coming. What we celebrate when we say God came among us highlights for us for who Jesus is. And I think I think this is going to be helpful both in this Advent time and this Christmas tide because uh, sometimes I actually do think that even though uh, maybe you're somebody who comes to church every week and you've you know at least been to Christmas service, services regularly throughout your life, um, Jesus can be lost on us. Um, here's what happens, right? The manger and the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and, and Mary and Joseph, they become overly familiar in a way. Old hat that we fail to actually see often what's right there before us, God with us. Because it's so familiar, sometimes it's hard to actually celebrate what's really, really there. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Um, So this week, we were back in Washington State 
celebrating Thanksgiving with my family. It was the first time we'd celebrated a holiday at my parents' house since we've moved here. Um, which means that when I woke up at 5.30 uh, here in Harrisburg, it was 2.30 according to my body. So if my words just don't really make sense this morning, that's partly why, okay? I'm a little, like, delirious with sleep. But um, so uh, we were out, out in Washington State for Thanksgiving, and we got there late Monday. We got there actually 11 o'clock Pacific time, 2 a.m. Eastern time on Monday night. And uh, then Tuesday, we hung out with my brother and his wife and my sister and her husband and all their our nieces and nephews. And that evening we went um, to my niece's Thanksgiving uh, recital for her school. She goes to a school it's called Springfield. And her school meets in the church that I uh, consider my home church that I grew up in in my own high school. It meets there at that, at that church. And so here's what happened. I walk in and there's a large, large, large narthex space, you know, sort of like our social hall where people gather before things and and make their way into the into the sanctuary, and we we're, we're, I'm in that big narthex, and hey, Peter Rowan, I'm like, oh, for hey, it's good to talk to you, and I talk to this person for a little while, and then this person's dad comes over. I remember his name, and then another person comes over. Hey, Peter, I'm like, okay, and uh, and Melissa's standing next to me for a little while, and then we we eventually make make our way into the sanctuary to see this beautiful performance of different poems and songs and stuff like that from my my niece and her school. And Melise leans over to me and says, totally understandably, Dave, I'd really like it if you could introduce me to the people that you're talking to, you know? Which is like such an, a normal thing. All you married people are like, yeah, I've been told that. And I say, babe, I would, but I don't remember most people's names. I am both exhausted and it's been a while since we've worshipped here and been here. But so as the, as the recital's going on, I look and just two rows ahead of me, the entire row is full of people that I either went to high school with, worshipped with growing up, or they married those people. Like, I know all those people, right? And my brother's sitting right in front of me, my older brother Jeremy, and so I lean up to, lean to Jeremy when it was kind of being noisy. I was like, Jeremy, you're one of all those people. Because I'm going to have to talk to them after this. I don't remember anyone's name. So I am like totally stressing out about this through this, you know, this recital that was so wonderful. And I'm trying to pay attention to it, but I'm super stressed out about it. And um, James is getting hungry, and, and he's, ah, he's like, hey, can we go out? So I take James and Henry out to the narthex area. And as I'm walking out of the sanctuary in the very back row, this guy gets up, and he makes his way to, towards me. And I'm, I'm just reciting in my head. All I'm going to say is, I'm sorry I forget who you are. Can you please remind me? Because I just have to say that to people now. So this person comes up and goes, hey, hey Peter. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I do not remember your name. And he goes, it's Ethan, your brother. <laughs> oh, oh. It was my youngest brother, Ethan. So, so I totally forgot Ethan's name. So embarrassing. Um, but here's my point, right? I'm looking right at my brother, my own flesh and blood, and I promise you, he looks as just like I do as as Henry and James look like each other. If y'all know my kids, they like obviously are rowing kids. That's what James and I, or Ethan and I look like. We're totally brothers. And I looked right in the face and said, I do not remember who you are. <laughs> I have, um, so here's why I tell you that though, okay? Because for all of, for all of the real joy of the season, 
And for all the busyness of parties and of wrapping presents um, and all the familiarity of shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph, um, sometimes I think Jesus really, truly gets lost on us. And we just don't even remember his name. We know like Jesus, Emmanuel, you know, those kinds of things, maybe. But the importance of God actually coming among us, Jesus being in the flesh with us, it sort of lost us because we can't even remember his name. Because we're exhausted. Because we're busy. Because we're frenetic in our minds of trying to think through what, 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 all this stuff going on. And so these po- this poem, this, this great O Antiphon, which by the way, Antiphon largely meant um, a recited uh, a short song. Okay, um, So oftentimes an ant- antiphonal prayers, like what we will do today actually using the O Antiphons. You all will say, um, come Lord Jesus. That would be the antiphonal response, you know, re- responding. Or even something like the Gloria Patri could be an antiphonal song that's said regularly. It's sort of like a chorus in a modern, like, worship song, okay? Um, but the antiphonal uh, hymns remind us that Jesus is the wisdom from on high. And he's the key of David. And he's the desire of nations. And he's the Lord of might and the root of Jesse. And that he's God with us. He's Emmanuel. So what I'm suggesting to you is that in this season, what we're going to do is we're going to say, Lord, teach us, teach your names again. Teach us who you are, that we might see you for who you are. And this morning, we're just going to consider rather quickly um, the idea of wisdom. Wisdom from on high. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, but in the ancient poem, the first stanza goes like this. Wisdom of the Most High, ordering all things with strength, and gentleness. Come and teach us the way of truth. That's what it says. This is how the hymn goes. O come, O come, a wisdom from on high who ordered all things mightily. To us the path of knowledge show and cause us in your ways to go. It's wisdom. It's part of who Christ is. Let me tell you uh, another story of being back in Washington State. I remember this very, very vividly. I was taking the ferry from Vashon Island, where I grew up, over to Point Defiance, which is where the ferry terminal is in Tacoma, Washington. And I was uh, waiting for it to arrive, and a, a couple came up to me, and I knew, I grew up with the, with the wife. I didn't really know the husband very well, but I had just begun seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, at Covenant Seminary. And it was the summer after I had begun, and I was on the ferry, and the wife came up to me, and she said, Peter, how, how has seminary begun? And I began to tell her how it had begun. And I remember her husband, I won't mention his name in a sermon in case he ever watches it. He says, why would you go to cemetery? Which is a really bad joke. Y'all, I mean, it's a pretty bad joke. It's, uh, but I've heard it a lot of times. Now, here's what he's getting at. Sometimes seminary actually does hurt people's faith. That's actually a true thing for various reasons. But one of the things it often actually does is it makes young bucks think, you know what, if I just read a lot of books, then I'll be wise. And people should listen to me because I've read books. Did you hear that I've read books? But what we all know is that that's not exactly the case. Um, Reading does a lot of good in the world, and we should all read books. But reading doesn't mean at all that you know the right words to say at the right time. That you know the words and the actions 
to comfort someone in the death of a loved one, or to guide someone away from the path of destruction, um, to offer advice in the midst of somebody who's suffering traumatic loss. It It doesn't mean, reading great books does not mean that you know how to navigate the difficulties of marriage, your own, or someone else's. It doesn't know how to mean you know how to care for your children in their tears or their disobedience or their great joy. It doesn't mean any of those things. But I guarantee that all of us long to do that. All of us long for wisdom. How to engage in the world rightly, wisely. And as, as you think about it just for a moment, you know that wisdom is something that the world over throughout time, has sought and desired. Think about the great schools of philosophy, right? The love of wisdom in ancient Greece. Schools of wise people that uh, uh, disciples would sit under them and say, teach me your ways. Think of the rabbis. Jesus, you know, wasn't, wasn't at all the only rabbi who had disciples who would follow him around. In fact, one of the reasons why we believe that the Gospels are so true is that the regular way that the rabbi would teach his disciples was by repeating the same thing over and over and over again, which is actually partly why even in the Gospels we see Jesus saying the same thing with maybe a little different nuances. But this was a common thing. Disciples saying, Rabbi, teach me. I want to be wise. Of course, you can think of the gurus of India, the sages of China and Egypt. Think of the wise men. In the Christmas story. Men who probably had devoted their lives to actually giving instruction and wisdom to a great king. I think of people like Daniel in Babylon, Nehemiah in Persia. This was a common practice for kings to have wise men to instruct them on how to live and how to rule. The fact is, is that the pursuit of wisdom has been something that people have been pursuing and desiring for the entirety of human existence. The fact is is that people the world over have agreed that there is a wise way to engage in the world and there is a foolish way to engage in the world. And the question is, how do we do it? How do we discern? How do we know what's what? And what the initial verse of this poem does for us, it says, this is found in Jesus because Jesus is at the beginning. One of the great things about the, the, this poem and its stanzas is, is that in some ways it follows the history of the Bible. And it starts with the idea of wisdom at the beginning. Wisdom from on high existing when creation happens. Think about the, think about the Bible. Um, wisdom in the book of Proverbs is personified numerous times, but most famously in Proverbs chapter 8, as Cynthia read for us. And it said there that, that wisdom is before creation, But that creation actually comes out of wisdom. Wisdom helps order the world. Um, Creation happens out of wisdom and creation reveals wisdom. There's an order to the way that that there's an order to the world and that reflects God and the way he's made it. And wisdom is understanding how did God make it. Let me me read to you again most of that uh, passage from Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 23. Ages ago, I was set up, speaking of wisdom, at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. 
when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its field or the, first of the, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he, he marked out the foundations of the earth, when he, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in the inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And I hope, this is part of my point in choosing these different verses, but I hope that as you actually heard that and then you began to listen to Colossians, you saw the ways that the Bible connects itself. The book of Colossians picks up on this idea and it says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation and by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, all things were created by him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Or I want you to think about the Gospel of John, the beginning of the Gospel of John. This famous, famous passage, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. See how it's all connecting there? What John is saying, what Paul is saying in the book of Colossians, what the author of Proverbs, mostly Solomon, at least we know, was saying, was that wisdom comes by considering the incarnate Christ, who is the one who spoke the world into being. For John, the wisdom of Proverbs becomes the word at creation. For the author of Proverbs, the wisdom is the one who speaks and who orders the world as it is now. What we see in creation is God speaking, and things are finding their place. God says, go here, and as the proverb says, he limits the waters. He says, this is how far you should go. This is how you are to act. This is how you are to be. God says, go here and no further. Go here and produce. Bear this kind of fruit and not that kind of fruit. Be used in this kind of way for the beauty of the world and not in that kind of way. Um, one author that I read this week said that wisdom is learning, quote, what we can control and what we cannot. What is given to us to accept and what is given us to change. Which is to say, wisdom is our own learning what our limits are. It's a creative thing. God says, here's the mountains, here's the seas, here's the stars, they have their place, and here are you. And wisdom is learning, how do I engage with the limitations and the abilities that I have in the world. So what we find in the Bible is that just as God's word creates and limits, so humanity's sin actually goes against these creative purposes and goes against these creative limits. Um, one of my professors in seminary, I've mentioned this a couple times over the years, Jack Collins, he taught Psalms and Wisdom Literature he said that wisdom is skill in the art of godly living. It's skill in the art of godly living. It's living as God made the world, but that takes skill. I think you can sort of flip-flop this on its head and say that what the Bible says is the great problem is that we've decided that God doesn't know what he's doing. You don't know what you're doing. You might set this limit and you might put us in this place, but we, you, your limits aren't right. 
Our dependence on you, that's not enough. And so we transgress those limits. Just like Adam and Eve did long ago. We don't trust his word and we decide to take matters into our own hands. Deciding we know better than the one who made all things. So what Adam and Eve did in deciding to take the forbidden fruit is to say that they knew better than God. They followed their own path rather than his. And it led to destructive results. What sin does is it, it distorts our abilities to even see wisely, which is to say to see the way that, the, that God made the world and us in it. What the Bible says from Genesis 3 on is that we're running away from God. We're running away from wisdom in a way, you could say. Because God is the wise one who sets the limitations of the world and us within it. We are seeking, we're seeking wisdom, no doubt. And some have given themselves to the study of the world, and they have become wise in many regards. But what the Bible tells us is that what we are seeking when we are seeking wisdom is Jesus. That's its point from the beginning to the end. What we're seeking when we're saying, Lord, how do I live in this world? Is we're saying, Lord, I've run another direction. I've decided that my limits are not the limits that you've decided for me. That your ways in the world are not the ways that I want to follow. That's what sin is, and I want to turn from that. And, and be under you and how you've made the world. So what we find in Jesus is the wisdom from on high. God, who's taken flesh and dwelt among us. He's the word. The wise one who's made flesh. and He's the one who comes for us. When we see him come for us, what we see is actually creation being remade. I don't think y'all heard this, but it was a sort of a gift for me. When Cynthia came to take the gospel reading, and she'd be, she almost took a step down. She said, I get to go down. And I imagine that's what Jesus sort of did, right? He's like, all these people who are running after their own ways, I get to go down and show them what wisdom and what recreation looks like. And so what, is Jesus, what happens when, when we see the wise one take on flesh? What we see is recreation, meaning a life as it's meant to be lived. Right? We see the lame walking, the blind seeing, these sort of physical dynamics of this. But we also see the social dynamics of it, right? The woman who had 12 years of bleeding, who'd been ostracized, who hadn't been touched by anyone. Jesus says, who touched me? Calls her back to himself. The woman at the well, John chapter 4, who goes and fetches water at the hottest part of the day because nobody will deal with her because she's had five husbands and the one who she's living with now is not her husband. She's the one that then goes back to the community and tells them, hey, Listen to this man who told me everything I ever did. She's restored to her community. What Jesus does when he comes among us, because he is the wise one who ordered the world perfectly, is he reorders it perfectly. Which is to say also that he does away with sin. He deals with sin on the cross. What I'm suggesting to you in all of this is that we are all longing for wisdom. We're all trying to find it through reading our different self-help books or our 12 steps to whatever. Or like yesterday, flying back from Seattle to Dulles, I watched Eat, Pray, Love with Julia Roberts. And she actually does something very wise at the beginning of that book when her marriage is falling apart. She falls to her knees and says, God, I've never spoken to you. I'm very grateful for the ways that you made the world. I want you to know that. But what should I do? 
And then what she decides to do is find wisdom in eating and in listening to a guru in India and falling in love with a Brazilian on, in Bali. But her impulse is the impulse like that we have, we have so often in our lives, right? What do I do? And what she did first is she fell down and said, God, if you're there, show up. And what we think happens in the incarnation of Jesus is God says, yes, I'm going to show up. As you long for wisdom, how do I live in this world? What do I do? How do I train my children? And how do I engage with my friends? And how do I live and work and act? God says, ask. Actually, James says like this, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all. Because what the Lord does is he says, yes, I get to come down among you. Let me give you myself. Because Jesus is the word, wisdom, who's made flesh and he dwelt Um, let me just end by circling it back to Tuesday night. Um, so my brother Ethan did give me a hard time, not as hard of a time as he probably should have. Um, because that was so ridiculous. I looked to my brother right in the face, who looks similar to me. He's even starting to recede. Sorry, Ethan. Um, and I said, who are you? Um, but you know what he did? He didn't. He didn't just go, what are you doing? gave me a big hug. <laughs> I can't believe you forgot me and gave me a big hug. And I want you to sort of think of Jesus like that when, as we look at these different ways, or, or these different stanzas as they teach us a little bit more about who Jesus is. What Jesus does in the incarnation, actually, you know, God coming in the flesh as humankind has been running away from him, folly after folly, sin after sin. Jesus comes and he goes, come on, come on. You've forgotten who I am. Let me give you a big hug. I get to come down among you, teach you the way of righteousness and peace and knowledge and wisdom. That is how our Lord comes to us. That's what we long for. Let me pray for us. Lord, wisdom from on high. God, whether it's the stanza from long ago that says, teach us your truth, or as we sing it, teach us uh, your ways and your knowledge. God, each one of us can think right now of ways where we long for wisdom, where we're wondering, how do we engage in this world? How do we love our neighbors who disagree with us? How do we care for our children? How do we engage at work? How do we participate in recreation? Jesus, we long for you to come among us in wisdom as the word who's made flesh and who dwells with us. Jesus, be for us now the wisdom from on high, guiding us in the way of knowledge and of truth, we pray. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. 
Thanks again for listening. God bless.